come, that life we just sang about. And um, before we get into that text, just uh, to take a moment of, of privilege here, just to connect what we just sang about to this text, uh, we are, if you live in, in faith in Christ Jesus, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you live in anticipation that this world is not our home, that there is a time coming when Jesus will return and we will, we will be with Him in glory. But until that time, we don't live in a bubble, do we? I wish we lived in a bubble, but we don't live in a bubble. We live actually in a battle. We live here in a battle, and we live in a time where we as the believers in Jesus Christ uh, need some encouragement for our lives. That's why I love this passage of Scripture. Because I think we live kind of like a, a, a legendary figure in ancient history whose name is Damocles. You may have heard about this guy named Damocles before. He, he was allegedly a servant, as the legend goes, a servant in the court of Dionysius. And Dionysius was the king, and, and he had all the trappings of the kingdom around him. Dionysius sat on his throne, and, and oh, I don't know what the scene might have looked like, but you, you've probably seen some of those scenes, all of the, the courtesans, all of the servants around him. Perhaps he was being fanned by a couple of people. Perhaps he was being fed whatever he wanted, the choicest food in the kingdom. And Damocles, the servant, says to the king in a moment of praise, Oh, king, it must be so wonderful. Uh, to be you, to have all of this power, to have everything at your beck and call, to, to have total and absolute freedom to do whatever you want. Oh, King, it must be great to be who you are. And Dionysius said to a young Damocles the servant, let's trade places for a day. I'll let you be the king. You can come and sit on the throne. And, and Damocles uh, was just excited for this opportunity to, to take the king's spot. He felt honored and privileged. And so he switched places with Dionysius. And Damocles came and sat on the throne. But before he made the change, da Dionysius made one command. He had a sword hung over the throne tied to one, tail, one, one hair from a horse's tail, tied to the pommel, hanging over the throne. Well, Damocles saw the sword and quickly recognized that is not a place he wanted to be. You see, Dionysius was trying to prove a point to young Damocles that even though the king had all of this power, he got this power by making many enemies over the years. And, and his power was, was fleeting and futile because he lived always under the specter that someone could come and take his life. The sword of Damocles is the legend I just shared with you. And it's called that because it's a reminder that that sometimes we can live in fear. In fact, Cicero, the, the ancient Roman philosopher, telling this story, relaying this story, he says this, does not Dionysius seem to have made it sufficiently clear that there can be nothing happy for the person over whom some fear always looms? Now, now let me say that again. He says this, does it, is it not made sufficiently clear that there can be nothing happy for the person over whom some fear always looms? 
See, I've had a fascination with this, this idea of the sword of Damocles because my dad, when I was growing up, my dad used to take me to work with him some, some days, some Saturdays when he had to go into the office and do some work. And, and on his desk sat a letter opener. And that letter opener was like a sword and it was in a, in, in a, in a, um, in a holder where the sword hung over a figure that was uh, in, in bronze ducked over like this. So early on in my, my childhood, my dad told me this story of living under pressure, this sword of Damocles. I don't know what happened to that letter opener. After he passed away, I looked for it everywhere because I wanted it for my desk. This idea that we, we can tend to live in fear that something hangs over our head all of the time. And Cicero reminds us, if we live that way, we'll never be happy. If we live in fear that, that the other shoe is going to drop, that, that something bad's going to happen, that the sword at any moment can fall and take everything away from us, we'll never live happy. Well, I believe and I'm afraid that many Christians live like there's a sword hanging over their head. They live as, as if God is waiting for them to, to slip up, to mess up, that one more thing that they do wrong and God will shun them forever. Even, even those who have trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation. Even those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, even those of us who have understood that it is only by Jesus that we can be saved, even those of us who have confessed our sins to Him and we have received the forgiveness that's promised in Scripture, many of us still live as if there's a sword about to drop. Well, can I tell you there's good news today for you if that's the way you live? You see, the Word of God gives us a promise here in Romans 8, verses 1 through 4, that, that can encourage us to, to help us understand the sword is gone. <laughs> there is no sword about to drop on you. Look at what it says. Paul says, there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Father, this is your word. I pray that you would allow your word to take root in our hearts today, that we would not believe the, the lies of the enemy that would want to keep us in condemnation, but we would believe the truth of your word that promises us there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Be glorified today. May you be honored as we study your word. May you be glorified in our listening and in our obedience today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I read this text, I'm reminded that if you're ever in a place where you fear that your, your behavior can, can, 
can uh, prevent you from receiving salvation. You're in good company. You see, Paul writes these words in Romans 8 verse 1 just after he has, he has talked about his own struggles with sin. He's talked about his own struggles with living this thing we call the Christian life. He's, he's talked about the, the war that goes on even within himself. He, he is not in a bubble either, this guy who's called a Paul, Paul the Apostle. And when your middle name is the, you're somebody special. Paul the Apostle, two-thirds of the New Testament written by this saint, this one who God ordained and called supernaturally on a Damascus road, who Jesus spoke to out of time, as Paul says, as one born out of time, called by Jesus Himself to go and preach the Gospel to the Gentiles. Paul the Apostle didn't live in a bubble. He lived in a battle. And in fact, that battle was really within himself. Just look back at chapter 7 and, and see how Paul says this. He, he says it in verse 15 of chapter 7. For I do not understand my own actions. For I, do not want, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. And look what he says, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And so he goes on, he says, so I find it to be a law that what I want to, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, in his body, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Then he cries out. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You know, we can live in that Romans 7 kind of mindset. We can live in this frustration of, woe is me, wretched man that I am. Have you ever been there? I mean, I can tell you I've been there. You may never see me again. And so it's safe for me, right? Just to say, I have been there. I have been in the place where my, my own wants and desires to follow Jesus have come right head on against my flesh. And my, my sin, my, my nature to do the things that I do not want to do. I've blown it. I have messed up. I have spoken, uh, spoken rudely to my wife. I have mistreated my children. I have, I have rebelled against the the rules around me. I'm a sinner. And I can live in that Romans 7 mentality of, oh, woe is me. What do I do about this? And, and if Romans 7 were the end of the story, if the, if the verse I just read was the end of it for us as Christians, we would walk around all day, every day, frustrated, discouraged, and depressed, living in fear of that sword. But look at what Paul says after that at the end of verse, chapter 7, verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And then read straight into chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul is, Paul is wrapping up here this middle section of the book of Romans and he's, he's giving us some, some clues on what this idea of justification is all about. He, he takes us back in this passage all the way when he says, therefore, he's not just pointing back to chapter 7. This therefore takes us all the way back to chapter 5. So, so keep your finger there in Romans chapter 8 and look back at chapter 5. Here's how chapter 5 begins. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, from, from chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8, Paul is teaching about this idea that if we are in Christ, if we have been justified by faith, in other words, if we have placed faith in what Jesus Christ has done for us, we can have peace. We can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no need for fear. There's no need for, for fear. There's no need for guilt. There's no need for shame because we have peace with our God. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. He goes on in chapter 5 and he, he talks about this idea of condemnation when he, he talks about the first man who, whose name was Adam. Look at verse 16. He says in chapter 5, And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, talking about Adam, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. So in fact, there is condemnation. There is condemnation because of sin. There is a penalty for sin. So, so don't misunderstand when I say there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean that there wasn't a condemnation. There is a real condemnation that comes because of sin. It comes because all of us, Isaiah 53 tells us, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned everyone to our own way. We are all sinners. Romans 3 tells us that. We are all sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because we are all sinners, there is condemnation. He says it again in verse 18 of chapter 5. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, there is condemnation for sin. But, but look at the rest of that verse. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. See, we all deserve this idea of condemnation. We all deserve death and judgment. However, because Jesus Christ came, because Jesus Christ came and He took upon Himself that condemnation, that punishment that we deserve. Isaiah 53 again, all we like sheep have gone astray. That's the first half. We have all turned everyone to our own way. But that's not the end of the verse. Therefore, the Lord has laid upon Him, meaning Jesus, the iniquities of us all. And so when Jesus Christ, 
stepped out of heaven and stepped onto earth and marched his life to the cross. And he died on that cross and he cried out to the Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment of him crying out when the sky turned dark and when the temple veil was torn in two, he took upon himself this condemnation that we deserve. And because of that, when we come to chapter 8, we can... Paul can celebrate and rejoice and remind himself in the midst of even his own failures, in the midst of his own struggles with his own flesh, he can remind himself just like we need the reminder every day, just like I need this reminder every day, there is therefore now no condemnation. For who? What does it say in verse 8, verse 1 of chapter 8? There is no condemnation for who? This is the audience participation portion of the program. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means for those of us who have come to the point in our lives where we have trusted in Jesus Christ, where we have have stepped out of this kingdom of darkness, as Colossians 1 tells us, and we have been translated, we have been transported, we have been moved from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. Those of us who have placed our faith in the work of Jesus Christ, you're not guilty. You have been declared not guilty. You have been acquitted, if you will, in a court of law. There is enough evidence to condemn you. But Jesus Christ has come in your place. The truth is, There is, therefore, now no condemnation. Now, why do we feel condemned, though? If you say, okay, Brian, I I get this in my head, just like Paul says, in my head, I know this is true, then why do we still feel this condemnation? You may say, why do I still feel it? When I served with Dr. Chuck Register, your interim pastor, when we served together in South Mississippi, there was a season where there was a person in our church that every time there was an invitation, every time that uh, Dr. Register would preach and uh, I would come and take my position for the invitation time and stand uh, at the front of the church sanctuary, for a season of, of life in that church, there was one individual, a young man who would come down week after week after week after week. And he would share with me that he just did not feel forgiven. He did not understand how Jesus could forgive him. He knew that he had trusted in Jesus Christ, but he could not feel this forgiveness. He lived under condemnation. Why do we live that way? What are some reasons that we live that way? Well, let me give you three. Let me give you three reasons that over and over again, We feel condemned even when we're not condemned. Number one, guilt over past sin. We feel guilty over a past sin. We feel there's something we've done that there is no way because of how bad this one sin was, this thing was, or this lifestyle was, that there's never any way that I can be forgiven. Even though I've trusted in Jesus, this one thing holds me back. Guilt over past sin. 
Number two, we feel condemned because others haven't forgiven us. Oh, we know we blew it. We blew it bad and we know we hurt people. There's, we've left a wake of brokenness in our past because of our sin. You know, sin doesn't just affect us, does it? Sin affects the people around us. The consequences of sin go not just against us, they go against our family, our loved ones. We, we tend to leave in our wake the brokenness of those we love the most because of our sin. And so we live under that guilt, but then that guilt is multiplied. That guilt guilt can be heaped onto us when we're not forgiven by those we've hurt. And so others have not forgiven us, and therefore it's hard for us to accept that there is a God who has forgiven our sins when the people we know don't forgive us. So we feel condemned. Number three. We feel condemned, one, because of guilt over past sin. We know it's in the past, but we still feel guilty. Guilt number two, or number two, because others haven't forgiven us. Number three, because we haven't forgiven ourselves. You see, that brokenness that we've left in our wake leaves us guilty. And instead of going to the cross with our brokenness, If we live in a state where we feel so much guilt that we don't forgive ourselves, instead of running to the cross with our brokenness, we'll probably multiply our brokenness. You see, counselors deal with this. Therapists deal with this. I'm not either of those, but but as I've talked to those in the field of counseling, I've begun to understand that many times when when Christians are in a cycle of brokenness, they're they're in self-destructive patterns of behavior in their lives, it's because of a, a, a guilt that they feel and they have not forgiven themselves for the thing that they did. And that one thing that one pattern, that one lifestyle, that maybe that one action or that one season of brokenness begins to define the rest of their lives. And instead of running to the cross to medicate because of that guilt, they begin to run to more brokenness and more brokenness and more brokenness. And because we can't accept that there is a grace, we can't accept that Jesus Christ has already paid the penalty Instead of running to the cross, we run to more brokenness. There's a young man I I was working with over the last few months, and this young man uh, was working on discipling, and we were in a relationship where we were conversing every week, and um, I was observing in his life some very unhealthy patterns. And when you're discipling someone, it's not just about opening the Bible though it starts with opening the Bible. When you're discipling someone and you build this relationship with someone, you have to get to the point where you say, hey, I've seen this in your life and that ain't good. And so we got to that point. Uh, we got to a point where I just had to say to this, this young man, hey, listen, I, I'm seeing these patterns in your life. I'm picking up on some things in your life and, and this is not good. What you're doing is not good. It's, it's destructive. It's sin and it, it needs to stop. And I, I asked a question they, they teach you not to ask. <laughs> Why? Why? Because they warn you that asking that question is, may, might be a guilt kind of uh, laden question. 
But I felt prompted. I just needed to say, hey, why? Why are you acting this way? And the scales began to fall off and the tears began to flow and he began to share. Well, two, two years ago, he says, I did this. And he names a sin. He says, two years ago, I did this. And I heard this person And as I'm relaying it, I I just remember the pain, the anguish of this young brother who's saying, I did these things and I messed up. And it hurt this other person. And I just can't get past that. And you know, figure this out. Why why are we like this, okay? I I did this thing two years ago, and therefore I'm going to continue to sin and do more and more bad stuff because I can't accept forgiveness for this thing? That's where he was. So here's what I'm learning about discipleship. Discipleship isn't, isn't just about spiritual maturity, though it is. Discipleship is about recognizing and recovery. See, this one past sin that this young brother could not forgive himself for uh, had derailed his life for two years because he wasn't at a place where he could trust in this verse of Scripture we're reading today. He couldn't forgive himself. He couldn't be sure that God could forgive him. He, He was ridden with this guilt And he could not receive this truth. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. See, this word condemnation only occurs in the the two passages I read from chapter 5. This passage, and then again, it's referred to in Galatians chapter 3 when it talks about a curse. In Galatians chapter 3, we're told that there is a curse that we live under, but that God took that curse in Jesus Christ. That cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree. And when Jesus hung upon a tree, He took upon Himself this curse. And therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're at a place where you feel guilty because of a past sin, May I encourage you today to remember this gospel, this good news, that, that's not just gospel for salvation, it's, it's gospel good news for you wherever you are if you walk in Christ Jesus. It's not just the gospel that saves us, it's this good news that helps us to walk in newness of life. And may I, may I, may I remind you today that no matter what's in your past, that, that Jesus Christ has taken upon Himself the punishment for that. You don't have to punish yourself. The psalmist tells us that God takes our sins and He separates them from us as far as the east is from the west. That when we come to Jesus Christ, when we surrender to Him, our past is our past is our past. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that in Christ, therefore in Christ, we are a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away. Behold, all things 
have been made new. So if you're at a place in your life where there's a past sin that, that, that the enemy keeps reminding you of, that, that keeps coming back into your head every time you want to make progress in your walk with Jesus, this, this one thing in the past, may, may I just remind you, why are you remembering something that God's already forgotten? It's past. It's past. Or maybe, maybe you know there's somebody in your life, it's a relational rift because of your sin and they just haven't forgiven you and, and you can't get past your sin because every time you see this person, here it comes again. <laughs> um, I was... I was with um, some old friends down there in South Mississippi, and, and uh, there's a young man whose dad, whose dad is a friend of mine. Now the young man is in his 30s and watched him grow up, that kind of deal. And, and I said to him, hey, I remember when you were a teenager, your dad would always talk about you running over mailboxes. You know, like you, drive, you needed some driving lessons. I was trying to tease him a little bit, and he just kind of shook his head and said, yeah. Every time, every time we have family gatherings, he reminds me of that. And I thought, eh, that's a small thing. He was laughing about it. But, you know, sometimes there's real sin in our lives. There's real things. And when we have family get-togethers, we can't get past it because Uncle, Uncle Bob's going to bring it up again or whatever. May I encourage you today? That your approval in the eyes of the Father, and your approval in the eyes of your heavenly Father is not dependent on your approval in the eyes of your family? May, may I remind you today that, that you have hurt people and that is a terrible and tragic thing. And, and by God's grace, you can still pray that that person will find it in their ways to forgive you. But if you have repented... And if you have done your very best to make amends for the things that you have done, and you have done all that you can to restore this relationship, your approval in the eyes of your Heavenly Father is not based on someone else's opinion of you. We do not want people, you should not want people to live in the wilderness of being judged by their worst day. And so on the flip side of that coin, this is another sermon, but on the flip side of that coin, if you're the one that has been offended, if you're the one that can't let go of what someone else has done to you, and you hold that over their head like the sword of Damocles, may I encourage you today, for your spiritual health and for theirs, would you forgive them as the Lord has forgiven you? Because when we hold guilt over someone else, it poisons our soul as well as theirs. And if you're here today and you're in that third category, you can't forgive yourself. May I remind you that it is the accuser. There is an enemy that we have who's the accuser of the brethren, he's called in Scripture. The liar of old, he's called. The deceiver. The one who challenged Jesus Christ in the, gar in the wilderness by saying, if you really are the Son of God, by challenging His identity with His Father, this devil that, that accused Jesus and challenged Jesus' identity, he is the one that challenges your identity in Christ also and will bring up your sin over and over and over and over and over and over again 
Because He does not want you to believe your identity lies in Christ. He wants you to believe your identity lies in your past. And as long as He's got you in the gutter of thinking, because I did this thing, I can never do anything for Jesus, as long as you're sidelined, He's okay with that. May I encourage you today to not believe what the, what the world says about you, to not believe what others say about you, not even to believe what that inner narrative, that inner story says about you. Would you believe what the Scripture says about you? Would you believe what your Heavenly Father says about you? Would you believe what Jesus Christ said about you when He died for your sins? That there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Look at what he goes on to say in verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You see, Jesus doesn't just want you to live forgiven. He wants you to live free. And if you're bound by the guilt of your past, you will never experience abundant life and freedom in Jesus Christ as He desires. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You don't have to live with a sword hanging over your head. You're free. You're free. You're free. We have freedom it's a law, he says. It's the law of the spirit of life. It's this, this exchange that Jesus gave us that we have traded the law of sin and death for this law of freedom in Christ Jesus. The Old Testament law exposes our sin. The Old Testament law shows us what sin is, but if we try to live under that law, we will never live in freedom. Jesus Christ gives us freedom. Without the Spirit's work in your life, there is no freedom. And so if you try over and over again just to work your way back into God's grace, it doesn't work that way. There's not enough you can ever do to earn your salvation. But there's not enough you could ever do either to unearn your salvation. Your salvation is not based on your keeping the law. Your salvation is based on the freedom that comes that Jesus was the perfect law keeper and He traded His obedience for our sin. And He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. You're free. You're free. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, you're free because, look at what verse 3 says, for God has done, now I want you to catch the tense of this, not present tense, not future tense, past tense, for God has done. It's over. It's done. God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. How did he do it? Just a reminder. Again, reminding ourselves of this truth of the gospel. Look at what he says. He did this by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. 
He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. God has done this thing of bringing salvation. I can never do enough to earn my way into God's favor. I can never do enough to make up for my sin. I can never do enough to to make up for the, the pain I've caused others because of my sin. I can never, never repay others for my sin. But God has done it. He's done it. He has fulfilled this righteous requirement of the law. And He gives it to us. Notice what it says. That, he might, that the law might be fulfilled in us. It's this exchange. We couldn't keep the law. Jesus kept the law. And He fulfilled the requirement of death as a penalty for breaking the law. And He fulfills it and gives it to us. You're not guilty. You're free. You're free. We're able to live holy lives as God requires, not because of our own flesh, but because of the Spirit of God who lives within us. And so, so may I say to you, you may be saying here, well, if, if there's no condemnation, can I live however I want? <laughs> well, you know that's not true. Romans 6 will tell you that. That's another sermon. But may I remind you, may I remind you that we can live holy lives. And just like Jesus said to the woman who was about to be killed by all the religious people through the stoning, when He wrote in the sand and those religious paid holy people fled away, Jesus looked at the woman and said, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, they're gone. There is none. And He says, neither do I condemn you. He doesn't just forgive her, does He? He says, now go and sin no more. You see, when we live in this idea of condemnation, that pattern and cycle of sin continues. But when we receive this grace that comes from Jesus Christ, when we receive this forgiveness, when we receive this freedom of His Spirit living in our lives, then we have the power to go and sin no more. Because we don't live by the law anymore. We don't live by the flesh anymore. We're governed by the Spirit of God who lives within us. So I don't know where you are today. But I know as a lifelong Baptist, a franchise player in the Baptist League, I know that our Catholic friends aren't the only ones that suffer from religious guilt. We Baptists have enough to go around. And may I encourage you today that there's probably somebody else in here, not just me, who struggles with, with believing this truth that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Would you today surrender your life, surrender your guilt, surrender your past, throw it at His feet, and do what Martin Lloyd-Jones, the famous British preacher of the, of the middle of the 20th century said, 
We need to preach the Gospel to ourselves. Remind yourself of this beautiful truth that what you couldn't do, what the law cannot do, God did by substituting His Son in your place. And in the arms of Jesus Christ, you can find forgiveness of your sin and freedom to live an abundant and full life without a sword hanging over your head. Would you bow your heads? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Perhaps you're here today and you know that you've tried the religious ways of appeasing God. You've tried to do it on your own. You've, you've done all the religious stuff. You have, you've tried and you know that you have never really trusted in this uh, righteousness that Jesus brings. You've never surrendered your life over to make Him the Lord. You've, you've just tried to follow the religious rules and you know that that's not getting it done. Maybe today for the first time you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you need to hear Him say over you, I don't condemn you. If that's you, Pastor Mark will be down front in just a moment and he can share with you this hope of salvation. Or, or maybe you fit in the category that the Apostle Paul fits in, that I tend to fit in, and that is you know of this war and you know of the guilt that this war brings to your life and you need to just surrender and confess that you will believe this truth. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Maybe you need to forgive someone else. Maybe as we've looked at the Word of God, the Holy Spirit has convicted you that you are not helping by holding something over someone's head. Or maybe... Maybe you just need to surrender today and receive forgiveness from Him, our Heavenly Father, despite whatever your past is. However the Lord is moving in your life, these steps can become your altar today. One of your pastoral team will be standing up front to talk to you today. Would you respond as the Lord calls you to respond today? Father, take this time. It's Your time, Lord. Thank You for forgiveness. Thank You that You speak words of life over us. Thank You that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank You, O God. Thank You for the Gospel. In Jesus' name. Quietly and reverently, let's stand.